Welcome to the podcast. In and through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim. And my name is Marshall. And this is the teaser episode. Yeah. The, the Christmas special. The Christmas special. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So next year, 2022, mm-hmm. we are going to do a year of church history. Yes, we, we are. We've divided our podcast into annual themes. We did the... Uh, chronological reading through the scripture, our first time. We did uh, the New City Catechism. And now we're going to set out and do church history yeah. in a year. Yeah. I'm excited for the church history for a couple of reasons. One, we both love history. We do. And so it's a chance to nerd out. It's true. Lots of interesting things happen. Mm-hmm. There's also a really solid spiritual element. Oh, yeah. To this. And that's where I don't want people to be like, oh, it's just a fact podcast now. Mm -hmm. Random facts. Mm -hmm. When we gather for worship, and I think about the woman at the well, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, you know, we worship here, they worship there. Who knows which is right? And Jesus says, you know, my people worship in spirit and truth. Mm -hmm. Um, This is an opportunity to say, why do I worship the way that I worship? Mm-hmm. And why do they do it differently? Sure. Where did these decisions get made mm-hmm. if we're all using the same book? Mm-hmm. Right? Because the whole, if it's in the Bible, it's in the Bible, so I believe it, and that's all I do. I don't interpret. I don't allow my culture to change in any way how I practice this worship. It's a disingenuous statement. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, you, you can't worship in a, on an island like yeah. that. And I think the other thing that I, that I hope people will get out of this too is a deeper understanding of the people that we are going to be sharing eternity with. Oh yeah, right. People yeah. who Good have point. lived through uh, these events in times and places that, in some cases, were very different than ours, and in some instances, handled situations that, um, on the surface, might look quite different, but behind you know, behind the scenes, it's, it's issues and problems and questions that we still wrestle with today. And so I hope that as we go through this, there will be a growing familiarity and appreciation for our brothers and sisters who've come before. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think that that really matters. I, I also, the third thing that I think is really important about this, mm-hmm. the world coming against Christianity portrays it as People have mindlessly been listening to whatever the pastor says, whatever the good book says, without ever thinking about it. Right. And you were the first generation to ask a question. (laughs) Everyone else has been mindlessly following. (laughs) Yeah. It's generational arrogance. It is. Which abounds Mm -hmm. in our generation. It does. Um, It's generational arrogance and it's generational ignorance. Yeah. Because people have been talking about these things since the beginning. Mm-hmm. And it'll be our chance to walk through some of those issues of our faith that have been discussed from the beginning. Yeah. Right? Uh, some things that people come to me and they're like, I, I feel like your very traditional reading of that passage is peculiar. Mm-hmm. And I say, well, your reading of that passage didn't come about until the 1950s. Mm-hmm. 
which makes it across the span, maybe not in the current age, culturally, mm-hmm. it might be the broader reading, mm-hmm. but across the span of 2,000 years of Christian history, it is the peculiar reading. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, those kinds of, those bits of information are really beneficial in how we carry out our faith. Yeah. And so today's teaser episode is a glimpse into what that might look like coming in the future, and we're going to focus on Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of an opportunity as people are preparing to celebrate Christmas to talk about the historical um, celebration of, the origin of the celebration of Christmas as well. Um, And maybe Santa might make an appearance too, so you never know. (laughs) (laughs) You're not Santa. You're not Santa. Yeah, so I think, well, I think here's, here's where I think we can start. Um, we can start by understanding that there's been a growing um, argument in recent mm-hmm. years in regards to Christian holidays and festivals that they are essentially all just pagan ripoffs. That's all they are. Right. Right. We just slapped Jesus on top of whatever the Romans were doing, whatever the Celts were doing, whatever anyone else was doing, called it Christian, and that's that. And we need to be aware of, of that. Just change the name. Just change the name. That's all it is. I, I was one of the, in academic worlds, one of the ways that people like to come at this, particularly around Christmas, is they all they did was change the sun god to the son of God. Right. And it's, it's essentially the same thing from there on out. Mm-hmm. Bizarrely inaccurate. True. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think the other trend that we have is people that look at Christmas and they believe that there was a point in time when all anyone ever did was remember the Christ child. Right. (laughs) And then in the last 50 years, it's become something of these bizarre celebrations that have nothing to do with Jesus Mm -hmm. and Jesus is being lost. Right. In Christmas. And neither one of those are true. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So if we want to go... I want to go back to the to the early one, and then we'll kind of walk through, you know, what this has looked like. But there was a Roman winter festival. Okay, that, can I can I hit you before that? Okay, what you're going to jump in, two hundred and seventy four ish. Yeah. So third century. Yeah. I think it's worth pointing out mm-hmm. that Tertullian, mm-hmm. Origen, mm-hmm. all of these first second century theologians. They don't talk about Christmas. No. Christmas, the celebration of the birth of Christ, doesn't exist yeah. until possibly the 4th century mm-hmm. when it's actually instituted. Right. But it's not even really discussed except for on the margin. Yeah. Which true. is where I think you're going to pick up in around 234. Yeah, so around around there. So So... Well, first, let me let me preface this by saying there was a Roman winter festival that would culminate on the 25th of December. It was called the Soul, uh, the Feast of Soul Invictus, or the Feast of the Unconquered Sun. And uh, and so a lot of people say, well, because Christmas ended up being celebrated on December 25th, they were just ripping that off. That's all it was. Um, and there was no kind of indication as to you know when Jesus was born prior to that. Right. So. In that time frame that we were discussing where Christmas was not celebrated um, as a holiday, the birth of Christ was not celebrated as a holiday, there was some discussion um, amongst church historians of the time 
and you know, still relatively early on in church history, of trying to determine when Jesus was born. Mm-hmm. And they had different ways of figuring it out. And 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 here's the thing: I'm not going to say that they are necessarily accurate in their estimations. But right. what's interesting is that there is evidence that Christians were considering December 25th as the day Jesus might have been born before this whole feast of Sol Invictus was even a thing amongst the Romans. Right. Because this wasn't an ancient Roman festival. This was something that one of the emperors brought in, kind of uh, imported from another country and instituted later on. So there is talk of Jesus' birth on 25th of December before this feast of Sol Invictus was even a thing. Right. So that's 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 one thing that we, we should keep in mind if you ever if you ever hear people talking about this. And that's Hippolytus. Hippolytus of Rome. Talking about the book of Daniel. Yeah. In the commentary. Yeah. Like a generation or two before. Yeah. Book four, verse 23. <laughs> in, or entry number 23. <laughs> Line three. We only know that because we had to three. look up the original source to confirm that that was accurate. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so that's when we have our first... And, and it's not a beginning of a discussion of when Jesus was born. It's sort mm-hmm. of a splash. Sure. And then it disappears. Mm-hmm. And then it comes back as a topic of interest in the fourth century. Yeah. This is what, if you're not familiar with church history, this is what you need to know. If you want to sound smart and you want to possibly be correct, just say in the fourth century. <laughs> because nearly, if it, if it wasn't, if it wasn't the 16th century, it was the 4th century. Okay. Those are the two, don't you feel? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So little there's bit. the Reformation in the 16th century, mm-hmm. and then everything else is 4th century. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. Sure. And we're going to get into that. Maybe not so much today, but we will in, in the later podcast. Yeah. But in the 4th century, people start asking the question, well, we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension. Mm-hmm. Those were the pivotal moments of the of the Christian calendar, mm-hmm. should we not also recognize the birth? We don't even know when that was. Mm-hmm. And the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of hint as to when that was. And so scholarship starts moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. And what are their major thoughts? Well, so one of the things that was circulating uh, at the time w- amongst church tradition was again not from not from the scriptures, but amongst church tradition, is that Jesus, um, Jesus's death and Jesus's birth occurred at the same time of year. Um, mm-hmm. So sorry, no, not his birth. His sorry, conception. his conception, rather. Sorry, his conception. So they there was all this debate about when, um, when you know, the Easter story happened, right? And there was different debates, and and there were different factions based on you know which date they they considered it to be. Uh, but some landed on March 25th, right? When they kind of compared the Jewish calendar with the Roman calendar and did some tracing back. Okay, when when would this have been if it was in this particular year? They land on March 25th. And so the idea is that Jesus was conceived on the same day he was, um, I don't know if it was his crucifixion or his resurrection, but in any case, nine months from March 25th is December 25th. So that was part of the rationale, right? right? Again, it's not that we necessarily know they were right, but it's not that they were copying something that the Romans had going on. That was not their motive for getting to where they got to. Right. Yeah, so so that was a thing that had become famous in tradition, mm-hmm. but not something documented. Yeah, that's right. And that they were working from, mm-hmm. and the statement they made. And yeah. as you said, made before 
there was the invocation of a solstice festival in Rome. In mm-hmm. fact, Hippolytus dies 50 years before that's mm-hmm. brought into Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the, the point of it is, why does it matter? Why does it matter that we understand that Christians didn't just stamp mm-hmm. on the end? One, the false information out there, a, a lot of times the way people want to discredit Christianity is to say, oh, the things the Christians believe, everyone else has already believed, and Christianity just exists because they ripped off of this other religion. Sure. Yeah. Right? Which is historically inaccurate. It is. Right? Yeah. We're, we're, <laughs> we're talking about uh, them comparing mythical gods. Mm-hmm. Not, in, not in such a way as that we would say, oh, well, we don't believe in them, so they're mythical. They were never presumed to be actual historical figures. Mm even by the people who followed them mm. with a actual historical Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it, it doesn't make sense that they, we would say, Oh, well, we're just going to take the same myth and apply it to our religion. When people be like, no, he was a historical figure. And these things mm-hmm. are historically recorded. Yeah. Uh, it, it, so it's, it's not an apples to apples comparison. No. It, it's, it's ridiculous. And, and we need to know that. And, Mm-hmm. And when when people take the whole like, well, everything that was this pagan tradition, you've just adapted into Christianity. Not only does it discredit or or attempt to discredit the Christian faith as a whole, mm-hmm. sometimes Christians, particularly fundamentalist kind of Christians, will take this sort of thing and say, "You are in sin for celebrating Christmas." Because you don't know that you're actually celebrating a sun god, a Roman sun god. Right, right. And so when you read Luke chapter 2 to your children on the 25th of December, you are sinning against God right? because you're worshiping a sun god. And and that is a legitimate statement. And and there are people who have family members confronting them with this, friends confronting them with this. Sure who have these kinds of questions. Mm -hmm. And so I would say it is historically inaccurate for that statement to be made. Mm -hmm. I think that's the point we've driven home here. Mm -hmm. I'll go even further and say, if that were not the case, Mm -hmm. if someone were able to perfectly discredit our statement that it's historically inaccurate, Mm -hmm. it still doesn't change things. Yeah, because here's the thing, right? Were there other aspects of, you know, when Christianity was rising to prominence. They kind of, you know, an older temple would be converted into a church building or something like that. Like, yeah, that stuff happened because the power of the gospel, I I found this quote online. The gospel doesn't just transcend culture. It transforms it. And the idea is that like, as, as time is progressing and believers are, you know, engaging with the world around them and there are things that are there, like the power of God can, redeem things Mm -hmm. that had nothing to do with with you know the truth of who christ is and what he had accomplished and those things can be redeemed in such a way that they then become something that points to him and celebrates him right so i mean it's just it's the part of it is just a matter of i mean that that redeeming uh that redeeming process happening throughout history um, and that, that doesn't just happen with holidays. It happens with different things. Um, mm-hmm. and we're going to get into a little bit of that, I think throughout, throughout church history. Um, but yeah, so that's something to understand. Like, even if it was a ripoff, which we're saying, I don't think it was the date. No. Yeah. 
but even if like even if yeah this whole thing was was theoretically a ripoff who really cares right and and, and i would say i would go further to uh, not not further but a parallel argument to the mm-hmm. redemptive argument mm-hmm. is to say an icon only bears the semblance you give it right icons and dates mean nothing in and of themselves mm-hmm. they are only given meaning by you. Right. Right? That is to say, there are languages where we can make the exact same noise, but those words mean different things because different cultures have given them a different meaning. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. In some cultures, whistling is a means of cheering on your team. Mm-hmm. In some cultures, it's a means of booing another team. Mm-hmm. And so in the World Cup, you have a clash of cultures where everyone in the room is whistling. <laughs> some because they're happy, some because they're upset. Right? Yeah. It's it's because that sound is given a meaning in its cultural context. Mm-hmm. The swastika sure. is a huge example of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In some cultures for centuries, millennia, mm-hmm. a sign of peace and harmony. Mm-hmm. The Germans destroyed that sure. by using it in a way that we now see it as a sign of hate. Right. Right? And so these things, particularly the date, I would say, mm-hmm. and, and later as we talk about other elements, they only have the weight we give them. That's right. And and if you are worshiping the birth of Christ on the 25th, then the 25th represents to you and in your worship mm. birth of Christ mm-hmm. and has nothing to do with a sun god whose name you were not even aware of until you turned on this podcast. Yeah. Augustine, I got one little quote from Augustine, then we can kind of start moving forward in, uh, in, in the historical narrative here. But Augustine said, we hold this day holy, not like the pagans because of the birth of the sun, but because of him who made it. Mm-hmm. I thought that was good. So, yeah. And I would, I'm not going to move on just from there yet. Okay. <laughs> That's <laughs> fine. That's fine. I just know you got other just, stuff. Just a, no, I do a really important point though. Mm. The church in the fourth century mm-hmm. and in the third century have no desire and no reason to assimilate with Romans. Yeah. To copy anything they have going on or to encourage the Romans to bring their ideals into Christianity. Mm-hmm. All of the writings of the time are not about assimilation, but distinction. Mm -hmm. And so to argue that as a means of reaching Rome, they would assimilate ignores all of the writings Mm. of the early church, where Rome was destroying them Mm -hmm. in huge numbers. Mm -hmm. And the point was, stand your ground, be distinct. Mm -hmm. Don't assimilate. All right. So how does this uh, celebration of Christmas kind of progress? Or how what does it look like, Tim? Because I know in, in our prep you were talking about how some of the some of the uh, some of the ways that it is it is celebrated yeah. um, are peculiar throughout so, history. So in addition to uh, the Romans taking on the worship of a sun god, there's a lot of solstice celebration throughout the world. Yeah. Right? Uh, The idea being 
The solstice is the shortest day of the year. Mm-hmm. It happens around December 25th. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what people would celebrate in their cultures is this is as low as it gets. Mm-hmm. This is the bottom of the barrel. Mm-hmm. Right? From here on out, it on- the days get longer. And life is waiting at the other side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so solstice celebrations across any number of cultures, particularly cold weather cultures, mm-hmm. were looking forward to spring yeah. and the life that would come. Mm-hmm. And this is where we start seeing in Europe, north of the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. similar celebrations as to what's going on in Rome at the exact same time, but for different reasons. Some given to Norse gods, some not, mm-hmm. right? And and the idea being a celebration of there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and that is why that is why these celebrations would would do things like represent their celebrations with evergreens. Mm-hmm. This thing with the capacity to survive the winter. Mm-hmm and maintain life mm-hmm. and come out on the other side, mm-hmm. that's what we're gunning for. Right. Right? We're up here freezing to death. It's dark all the time. Mm-hmm. You can't even go outside because you'll die from the cold. Mm-hmm. But we're going to make it through this winter, and there's going to be life at the other side. Mm-hmm. And that fir tree is doing the same thing. Yeah. So let's kill it. And bring it into the house <laughs> to celebrate the fact that it's going to live. Yeah, well, and you had like feasting and drinking and dancing and all these things. It almost is kind of a way, I mean, I think for these earlier peoples to kind of, to kind of, that flies in the face of the the death and the difficulty, the cold the hardship of that right. season that they're in the thick of to say, hey, we're going to, we're going to live. Yeah, it, in, when everything around us is dying, right? There's something within like that that timing of the season which makes which which makes the fact that this was celebrated across multiple cultures understandable, right? Yeah, and, and so the idea was this is just their way of saying no. No, it, we've stepped into the hard. We know that there's more hard coming mm-hmm. and and instead of being afraid of it, we're going to celebrate. Yeah. And we're going to en- enjoy what bounty we have going into winter, some of it isn't going to keep over winter anyway. For instance, mm-hmm. livestock mm-hmm. Uh, it has to be trimmed down into just your breeding herd for the spring because mm-hmm. you don't have the resources to keep a whole herd alive all winter sure. long. Sure. Uh, and we're just going to revel in it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to drag in the biggest stump that our village can drag in. And we're going to light the thing on fire and we're going to party until that thing burns out. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's where we, we talk a lot. Like, the you Yule hear log? things like the Yule log yeah. and people, you're like, oh, yeah, the Yule log. And I have no idea what that has to do with the birth of Christ. It has nothing to do with the birth of Christ. It doesn't. Yeah. What, we're, what we're learning in this is that Christmas, the way that we celebrate it, is two things mm-hmm. it is a religious recognition of Christ coming to earth mm-hmm. as promised, the Messiah come. Mm-hmm. And it is a winter celebration that has been going on in cultures 
that our culture descended from mm-hmm. for a very long time. Yeah, and I think I think it's fair to say when we look at you know some of these like Nordic or British cultures that celebrated these kind of Yuletide festivals or whatever that you know that got incorporated into Christmas time celebration over the years. There's a sense in which that continues today. I mean, people talk about like the war on Christmas or like how, you know, we need to put the Christ back in Christmas. But, you know, as you pointed out, like cultures have struggled with that all along. Mm -hmm. Right. Like Christmas time in 1700s England was not all about the birth of Christ. Right. It was it had all these other things that were brought into it. Right. So it's not like the 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 issues that are alarming people today are new in a sense, right? It's just what matters to the world around us, these kind of worldly uh, traditions and worldly um, priorities find their way in. And what do you find in 21st century Western society? Lots of commercialism, right? right? Buy, buy more stuff. You deserve more stuff. Merry Christmas, right? Right. And so it is neither christians trying to take over pagan traditions Mm -hmm. nor is it pagan tradition trying to take over the christian tradition Mm -hmm. these things run parallel from and from the beginning Mm -hmm. and uh and they are in some ways two separate things that have been amalgamated kind of yeah and i think that's where the confusion comes in Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's where i would say to someone if at any point you hear this and you think i don't know that i can do that in good conscience Mm -hmm. i say that's fine yeah Right. Like the reason I have a fake fir tree in my house right now Mm -hmm. is because the Nordic tradition was to chop one down and celebrate its ability to survive the winter (laughs) by bringing it into the house. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) Right. I, I can also get with the idea of winter will come to its end. Sure. And like the evergreen, we will survive. Mm hmm. Right, I I can I can be with that. I I I remember being told that the Christmas tree represented, uh, as it was a tree, the birth of Christ that would eventually be the tree that he. Like I said, an icon has the value you give it. Sure, you want to give it that because it puts you in a place of worship when you see the Christmas tree. Do your thing. Yeah. Right. That's not where it came from. Mm-hmm. Right. It, but if you hear that and you're like, I can't I can't get with that mm-hmm. and I'm I'm not OK mm-hmm. with that connection. Mm-hmm. I can't put up a Christmas tree. I'd say that's your conscience. Yeah. Follow your conscience. Do, I mean, do that. The word of God speaks to this type of thing specifically. It mm-hmm. speaks to like holy days. Right. Talks about how some people put significance on certain days. Some people just see all days the same. It talks about all sorts of different things. It talks about, you know, meat and, and within, you know, the the. The context of the text being written, it was like meat that had been offered to idols as a pro in as part of the process of its preparation. And so it's like, you know, for some people, they're like, you know what? I just can't touch it. I just don't have a good conscience about it. Then don't. Um, mm-hmm. But you can have a clean conscience in participating in Christmas celebrations, including having a Christmas tree. Yeah, because those biblical contexts are more about freedom than restriction. Yeah, they are. And and that's what I think Christians get wrong, mm. is that we think, no, the way we please God is that we just hyper-restrict ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that is not uh, absent from the Christmas story, mm-hmm. right? 
Because as we see these Yuletide revelries, like, sure, they had the Yule log, which might be why you turn your TV to the fireplace channel at Christmas <laughs> and not at any other time. Uh, if it, it, they, they burn the Yule log, they eat in abundance, uh, they bring in Christmas trees, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Well, they didn't call them Christmas trees, but sure. whatever. They hang apples on them, which eventually just became balls, mm-hmm. which eventually became ornaments. Sure. Um, and they reveled mm-hmm. in their parties mm-hmm. to the point, like, and, and this was what was going on in Rome as well. Sure. Yeah. Right? So yeah. further south in Rome, the revelry around Solstice celebration was... Uh, we we talk Debauchery. about we talk about Las Vegas as being Sin City. Yeah. I think I think these cultures would laugh. Yeah. At oh, that. Yeah. When people say, Oh, people are just so more sin so much more sinful now than they ever were before. No. 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 <laughs> no, no, no. No. And and so those kinds of revelries brought in things like the mistletoe. Sure. Which yeah. we have very much made a G rated thing. Uh and so and so yes. all of the, all of that going on, mm-hmm. we move into a place where in the Reformation, particularly in the English Reformation, mm-hmm. we start having people saying, no, Christmas has got to go. Yeah. The celebration, these Yuletide celebrations, even calling it Christmas, mm-hmm. because they were running that close together, Christmas has to go. Right. And the... the um, Oh, I've lost my words entirely. Puritans? Puritans. The Puritans put a ban on Christmas. They did. Yeah, and some of the New England colonies, because they were kind of, essentially, they got kicked out of England because they were so upset about so many things. Um, and I'm a big fan of the Puritans. Just say oh, yeah, there. the Puritans do a number of oh, amazing like things. Ama- amazing. If you can read Puritan works, it's some of the best stuff you'll ever read. If you don't own the Valley of Vision, mm-hmm. you should go get it right yeah. now. But they, they went a little crazy with the Christmas stuff. And so when they, they leave England and settle in North America, in a lot of the kind of townships that they found they founded there um, back in like, you know, 1600s, 1700s, yeah, Christmas was banned. Mm-hmm. Christmas was banned. It was a crime to, to celebrate Christmas in certain districts. It was even a crime to close your business. Right. On Christmas Day, unless it was a Sunday, which it would because <laughs> because it might be that you closed it because of Christmas. Sure, yeah. Uh, and so and so, and this is where I think the Puritans made the mistake. Mm. When we talk about how Christians believe, it, there is there is a level of truth in that following Christ means that there are things that I keep myself from. Yeah, but. The extent of my piety is not measured by the number of things I keep myself from. Right. Yeah. Right. If and, and the Puritans get there a little bit. A little bit. The yes. Puritans get into this idea that the only thing I'm allowed to enjoy is Jesus Himself, mm-hmm. and anything, anything that stimulates joy in this world, is bad. Yeah. Or yeah. at least potentially bad. And so I need to stay away from it altogether. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like they're like, no Christmas, because you might have fun. 
<laughs> and you might take it too far. Right. So we're going to fence the thing. Right. And and that can carry on in some respects because it's like, you know, no Christmas because you might inadvertently been be doing pagan worship, right? It's the same kind of mentality that bleeds its way into that type of fundamentalism that you mentioned a little bit earlier, right? It's that same thing. It's like, well, don't do the thing because you might do something that you shouldn't do. And it's it's just or it's more restrictive than than a Christian liberty allows for. Right. Right. And uh, and so, again, it just comes down to a matter of of conscience and a matter of freedom. But not everyone who came to the Americas was a Puritan. That's true. And so there are people from other cultures, Mm -hmm. particularly the Germanic Mm -hmm. cultures and the Dutch and the Dutch in particular Mm -hmm. who bring with them Christian uh, Christmas traditions. Yeah. Christmas traditions that are the parallel yet blending of a Christian tradition with a non-Christian secular winter celebration tradition that runs side by side. And so that makes its way into the Americas. And, and, And this is not to say that the Americas are the source of Christmas as we know it. But it is to say that uh, these things have been going on in Europe, mm-hmm. but there's a huge death of it mm-hmm. in the tradition that most listeners of this podcast would worship in, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so your Baptists, your Presbyterians, uh, your Episcopalians, mm-hmm. all of those traditions, the Church of England, your Anglicans, all of those are going to see Christmas snuffed out because it might be too much revelry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it dumbs down. Yeah. But in the Americas, we see an uprise of it again. And it's not until the Victorians that we really see it become a thing. Right. And so whereas the Puritans snuffed it out, the Victorians get into a place where they're like, we want fancy. We like fancy. <laughs> we like nice. traditions. Yeah. We want beautiful and mm-hmm. we want celebration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so there's a, a bit of a renaissance in the Victorian period. Sure. On a number of levels, mm-hmm. right? Industrialization brings wealth and those kinds of things. Uh, and so so the Victorians stir up Christmas again. And then we see this further blending of these things. The Catholics never stopped doing Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, it was always a big deal for them. They always did it. Mm -hmm. And so when the Catholics come to the Americas, we have mass being held on Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. And so as Victorian America grows in this desire for a Christmas tradition, the chance to blend that with their worship Mm. meant that even though a number of Protestants were desiring to celebrate Christmas and they wanted to have a Christian element to it, they would have to go to a mainline church Mm. to get that. And so slowly, slowly, we start seeing those Protestant traditions saying, hey, you know what? We can worship Christ Mm -hmm. as Christmas here. Right. Which carries on even to today. Mm. Interestingly, 
fun fact for you. Growing up where I grew up, we didn't do Christmas Eve service. Really? We didn't do Christmas Day service. Really? No. We would acknowledge it, and we would sing Christmas carols mm-hmm. leading up to it. But Christmas Eve and Christmas Day were family things. Really? And not a particular church thing. Hmm. We would, at our homes, read Luke chapter 2. The Sunday before, we would say or do something, but we didn't gather for it. And we sure didn't do Advent. Right. Right? But here, we do Advent, and we do Christmas Eve service, mm-hmm. and a lot of traditions do Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that sort of seeing how Protestant groups are still moving more and more toward that celebration in the church mm-hmm. is an interesting thing to say. This isn't a settled thing. This, there's still movement here. Yeah, for sure. No, for sure. Well, one of the things that is a bit more recent uh, in the celebration of Christmas and came from some of those Dutch folks we mentioned before was this idea of this, this character, mm-hmm. Sinterklaas. Who wasn't Dutch. Who was not Dutch uh, mm-hmm. at all. No, no, he was originally well. So the the character of Sinterklaas, who became Santa Claus, and uh, and wears the red and white suit, which uh, you know it's not a coincidence that it's the same colors for Coca Cola. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but Saint Nicholas was a historical figure, mm-hmm. um, and so before we close our episode, uh, maybe we can share a little bit of the life of Saint Nicholas, things that did happen things that may have happened some things that probably didn't happen uh nicholas kinda... of mira yeah is his name mm-hmm. so he's turkish yeah yeah born in what's now southwestern turkey in about 270 ad right so right so before chris so here's the thing you have to know there's nothing there's no point when Nicholas joins the conversation of when was the birth of Christ or connects to the birth of Christ or anything like that. Not really, no. Right. Yeah. So interestingly enough, he is a very, in his time, famous, not just like locally famous, but mm-hmm. a famous man of the church mm-hmm. with the best of them. Sure. Right? Uh Yet his connection to Christmas as a celebration of Christ's birth doesn't exist. He exists in the secular tradition, although he's priest. <laughs> that's, the, that's the interesting portion of this. Yeah, yeah. But let's talk about Nicholas of Mira. What, what is he famous for as a priest? Okay, well, he was a, he was a priest— uh, who later became a bishop. Um, and he was born to wealthy parents. And after his parents died, he inherited the fortune and he gave a lot of that money away. Yes. So he was known for it. One, one the primary example and, and the story that probably resulted in him being associated with Christmas was uh, when a, a man in, in Mira who had three daughters fell on tough financial times. Mm-hmm. And at the time... The, the father of a bride was expected to have a dowry ready for his daughter to be an eligible candidate for marriage, but he had no money. And in that time and in that place and in their financial situation, uh, what would likely happen is they would be 
um, essentially forced into this, the sex trade. They would have to become prostitutes. And so in order to prevent that from happening, uh, good old Nicholas drops uh, a small sack of gold in through the window of the house. And then the father's able to arrange a marriage for his eldest daughter. Later on, he does it a second time. And then when he, and the second daughter is married off. And then when Nicholas goes to do it for the third time, this guy finds him. Nicholas makes him swear that he won't tell anyone. So it's kind of this this selfless generosity, um, getting uh, you know those who are downtrodden out of a difficult situation. This kind of compassionate um, charity at you know f- for those who need it most. And it's kind of that that then becomes this celebration or this you know the filling of the stockings. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. that whole idea, right? And and as a priest, he is recognized. They do have the Feast of Nicholas. Mm-hmm. He actually gets two feast days. Does he? One in March, one in December, like <sighs> December 6th-ish, okay. so we don't get too excited. Okay. Uh, and then one sort of like mid-March mm-hmm. um, kind of a thing. Uh, but that's not the only thing that he does that he's famous for. No, he's not. Famous for a couple of other things. Yes. We did talk, decide, we were... <laughs> Questioning whether or not we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about it. Okay. In order to be, become a saint, there has to be a tradition of miracle mm-hmm. that you've e- executed. Sure. And the most famous tradition of miracle didn't come around until the 1600s, so significantly later. Right. <laughs> far after his sainthood. Right. But still a tradition connected to him. That he was traveling through a town, and he went to a butcher's shop, where the butcher had killed three children, and was going to have them pickled in hopes that he could pawn them off as ham. Wow. But Nicholas was wiser than that. And he goes to the barrel, and makes the sign of the cross, and those three children are resurrected and their bodies made whole, and uh, and the butcher arrested for his evil deeds. Um, so there you go, <laughs> Santa Claus with this uh, really weird association, uh, but not not the only weird association. You want to you want to talk about Nicaea? Okay, yeah. So so Nicholas was involved in the first council of Nicaea. Right. So after um, Christianity is essentially legalized, there is a a gathering of bishops from across the Roman Empire, because now the there's who, yeah, the who's who from all over, hundreds are, are arrive, and they are coming together to kind of hammer out some issues. Right, you have to understand that, like up to this point, being a Christian wasn't great. And it was worse. Like, I mean, as far as like, you know, you couldn't publicly being a Christian was not ideal. And in some places was very dangerous. Sometimes it was very dangerous. But now they can kind of come out in the open. So they come together and they want to chat about some some issues, some big issues. Uh, some of the smaller ones are, you know, they're going to they're going to put a, a creed together, the Nicene Creed that kind of spells out what the church believes. Um, they're going to figure out how and when Easter needs to be observed. Um, which to us, I guess maybe to us, that seems like a, not a significant question, but it was a huge deal throughout church history. They're going to mm-hmm. fight about Easter for 
centuries, um, dealing with other kind of church order matters. But there's a big issue because there's this guy named Arius, right? Another famous big player, bishop, um, and he's been saying some things about who the son is in relation to the father, right? And essentially, and we're going to get into this later because we'll we'll talk about the Council of Nicaea. It'll probably get its own episode at some point. But essentially, that the the son is a created being, um, not co-equal, co-eternal with the father. Right. And story goes, he gets up and makes a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> and Saint Nicholas is not happy about that. Saint Nicholas ain't having it. Yeah. There there were others there. Oh yeah, lots. Gregory mm-hmm. is huge on this topic mm-hmm. and writes about mm-hmm. it. But mm-hmm. Nicholas is in this camp. Mm-hmm. Arius is doing his thing, mm-hmm. and Nicholas clocks him, slaps him in the face, slaps him or punches him, physically assaults assault him. Yeah, yeah, publicly. And the story goes then that you know for this outburst, he is kind of temporarily removed from the bishopric. Right. By Constantine himself. Right. The emperor who happens to be hanging out. Right. Um, and, and it's struck from the record. Yeah. And yeah. only discovered when in, in records that didn't get erased. Yeah. Years later. Cause, and here's the thing. Some people have said, oh, there's no historicity in this story. He probably didn't do it. But here's the thing. When people wrote about the lives of the saints, they would do so in a way that would shed good light on the saint. Only good light. Only yeah. good light. Only positive things. This is an like uh, this saint Nicholas losing his temper and striking someone even for being a heretic would not was an embarrassing thing and then for Constantine to kind of punish him for what he did would be an embarrassing thing so so there's there's a sense in which this probably happened yeah. <laughs> it was probably a significant enough event that they're like well we have to talk about that because it's a thing right right and so I explained this to my kids last week and. They go over to like this little Christmas thing in the corner where there's this jolly Santa Claus standing at some <laughs> some stockings, and they're like, "Imagine this dude punching you in the face because <laughs> you were talking trash about Jesus." And I was like, "There you go." And I told them about the meme. It in like <sighs> Facebook only gives you the memes that it thinks you're going to be interested right, in. Right, and if you right. happen to run in nerdy theologian cultures mm-hmm. around this time of the year mm-hmm. people start pumping out the one that's the the official catholic picture of nicholas that says i've come here to hand out presents and to punch heretics and i'm all out of presents <laughs> my kids loved this story <gasps> you're yeah. like all of a sudden saint nicholas matters more to me now than he did before yeah one uh, one neat thing that i, I might make you chuckle there they actually, St. Nicholas's remains, because a lot of these saints, their bones got kind of divided up and scattered all over, right. but his were more or less kind of preserved in one spot. Mm-hmm. And uh, the local church where he's buried um, actually allowed for his remains to be studied. And so they did. And they found, you know, some things about him, you know, average height for the time, which was like five, six, uh, average build, this sort of thing. He lived to a, a pretty late age for the time, but he'd had a broken nose. Now, they figure it's probably from the persecution that had arisen when he was a young man before Christianity wasn't outlawed anymore. But I wondered, maybe, maybe Arius punched him back. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go with it. Let's go with it. 
who who needs who needs historical integrity? Let's no, just roll with whatever. It. Yeah, I just wonder, you know. So that's Nicaea. That's Nicaea. And then he goes off and he does his Nicholas generosity thing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and fame of that spreads into Europe. It does. He's recognized the feasts of Nicholas, and particularly that December feast for the uh, for the Dutch. Mm-hmm. Where you have that very tight parallel of the Yule festival and Christmas running together, mm-hmm. and so those things are pretty common there. They don't exist in the English-speaking world, the Americas, the England. Mm-hmm. But when the Dutch start settling in the U.S., they bring that tradition with them. And the Victorians, as we said before, mm-hmm. are just looking for reasons and ways to celebrate Christmas. Mm. It's become a bit of an obsession for them, and they like this one. Yeah. And so they grab it. Yeah. Uh, grabbed by a retailer, and, well, I guess maybe first grabbed by a, uh, a poet mm. who sort of introduces the world, the American world, to Santa Claus as uh, in writing, Twas the Night Before Christmas. Right. So that wasn't the existence of a Santa Claus tradition put to a poem. Mm-hmm. That's where the Santa Claus tradition comes from. Right. In the Americas. Yeah, at least our version of it, yeah. Right? Our version of it comes from this poem. Hmm. And now all of a sudden the Victorians, and I, I don't want to presume that when I say the Victorians, everyone has a timeline mm-hmm. running through their head. I mm-hmm. think I'm making a mistake in doing that. Yeah. This is how late this stuff is. All right? When I say Victorians, I mean 19th century. Mm-hmm. That means the Victorian era is like the back 18, half. 1830s to the 1915. Okay. Something like that is considered the Victorian era. Mm-hmm. That's extremely recent. Mm-hmm. Oh, right? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. So, and so we have this Christmas disappears, and Christmas comes back in the mid 1800s. Mm-hmm. We have a poem written. That goes viral for the time. Sure. <laughs> and and now all of a sudden everyone knows what Santa Claus is. No one knows what he looks like. Right. There are all kinds of people trying to depict what he looks like. That gets settled by uh, a Coca- retailer. Coca-Cola, <laughs> who is not a sponsor of this podcast. <laughs> um, and and so, yeah, some, some argue Coca-Cola, some have also argued for Macy's or Oh, I guess yeah, yeah. Macy's Santa. Yeah, yeah, that's a thing uh, too. Yep. So whatever it is, it's it's retail mm-hmm. and marketing mm-hmm. that solidify what Santa Claus looks like as far as we know him. Mm-hmm. Uh as a promotion to encourage people to spend money at Christmas, someone decides to write a story about Santa Claus that they'll give away. You buy something here, you get a, a free book that you can only get here because we wrote it. <laughs> and that book was about Santa's little helper. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden Rudolph makes his way into the scene. Right. Uh, there's an ambassador at the time from the U.S. to Mexico who is there and sees this tree-ish bush growing that has red leaves and thinks, that looks Christmassy. <laughs> Brings it back. The poinsettia makes its way in. Okay. Right? <laughs> All of this to say there's a lot 
there's a lot about Christmas mm-hmm. that we look at and think, what on earth does that have to do with the birth of Christ? Mm-hmm. And maybe you haven't thought about it. I, I hope right now you're sitting in your living room, listening to this, looking around, going, wow, there's a lot of weird stuff right. in my house right now, <laughs> and I have no idea why. <laughs> and, and the truth is, it's not all tied no. to Christ. No. It's, it's the secular side of these parallel traditions, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And some of it is hyper-modern. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I would call early 1900s hyper-modern. Yeah, sure. Uh, as far as traditions go. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all of the commercialism and the spending and everything is a part of that Yuletide festival, mm-hmm. and it always has been. Mm-hmm. I would say the revelries have been dialed back significantly. Oh, yeah. There's even an argument that the reason New York established a, a hired police force was because a Christmas celebration <laughs> no got so out of hand no that they were like, we got to do something about this. <laughs> it's You know what? That's the report of the History Channel. That's awesome. And And so... This thing that we're seeing, I, I think a lot of people feel like the commercialism is the decay mm. of Christmas, mm-hmm. or it's trying to overtake. Mm. Um, I even when people do the Xmas instead of Christmas, I do we need to get angry and bent out of shape and feel like we're being robbed? My argument is going to be no, mm-hmm. especially on the Xmas thing, mm-hmm. because. When the early church would abbreviate Jesus's name, it was a Kai. It was a Kai, which is an X. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I, I, when I see that, I always think if I, I think most people are just being shorthand. Right. But if your attempt is to remove the name of Christ from Christmas, you failed. You picked the wrong letter. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pick the wrong letter, guys. Right. Uh, and and so, how do we need to feel about these things, mm-hmm. Marshall? Do you have a Christmas tree in your house? Not yet. I do. Okay. Will you have one? Yeah, I think so. Will you feel bad about it? No. No. There was a time when there was a time a few years ago where I was I was being I was getting really leery of Chris, of Christmas celebrations. Mm-hmm. Understanding that so much of it had these, you know, kind of, you know, pagan or just not even pagan, but just non-Christian sources. Um but what's happened for me in my life over the last couple of years is uh, things are turning around for me to say, you know what? Christ is in the process of putting all things under his submission. And uh, and even if this thing represented something else before, um, we can use that to separate or to, to celebrate um, him. And so, you know, and it's and it's fun. Yeah, I'm not going to feel bad about having a Christmas tree in my house. Mm -hmm. If the tree originally meant we will survive this winter Mm -hmm. and there will be life on the other end, Mm -hmm. that has massive gospel message to me. Mm -hmm. There's symbolism there. I believe the exact same thing is true. Mm -hmm. I believe it's not by the power of man, Mm -hmm. but by the grace of God. Yeah. That we will survive this era. And on the other side, there is life. Mm Mm-hmm abundant Mm -hmm. uh so i'm gonna do it and that's the image i'm gonna give that icon Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna see it as an awesome thing Mm -hmm. do i do we need to feel bad about giving gifts no 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 christ was given to us Mm -hmm. by the father 
mm-hmm. has a sacrifice. Yeah. Is that the source of the Yule Festival revelries and gifting? No. No. <laughs> no. Not at all. But you know what? It's the icon that I give it, mm-hmm. and I'm going to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, because God lavishes upon us. Mm-hmm. Not only in the grace that is Christ, but in general grace. Yeah, he does. And we're going to celebrate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you going to feel bad about doing it on the 25th? No. 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 Even if there was no connection to Christ being born on the 25th, mm-hmm. in the same way that I can get with the tree, mm-hmm. you want to tell me that this is as dark as it gets? Yeah. And it's only, I'm going to sound like a post mill. <laughs> and it's only going to get brighter until life comes. Yeah, buddy. And all things are made new. Mm-hmm. And Christ's birth marks that turnaround. Yeah. I'm good with that. Yeah. I can do that and I can worship accordingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you going to feel bad about singing Santa Baby? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You got to uh, draw a line somewhere. Well, you know what? I, I mean, I, I, uh, I was already not a fan of the song uh, for reasons that, you know. Pre-existed the current, the current issues. <laughs> yeah, and so, so that's the reason we wanted to do this episode was in part because a history is coming up. Sure, and we wanted to give you a taste of what that history would look like. Yeah, and admittedly, it gives us an opportunity to kind of dive into something different before we actually get into the meat of the study. Yeah, right. Because this this won't come up. No, through we're, that we're not going to do a whole Christmas thing again. Uh, but also, I hope that it not only opens our eyes to why we do some of the things that we do, mm-hmm. I hope that it settles some hearts. I, mm-hmm. I guarantee that our listener has heard someone say, you shouldn't do Christmas because, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. And, and with that brought some misinformation mm-hmm. they heard on a pamphlet or a YouTube video. Sure. Um, and that is enough to bring doubt into our hearts mm-hmm. and that kind of doubt not only affects our own worship, but it affects the way we look at our church as a whole and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I, and I also think it's a good opportunity for us to look at these things and think, you know what? These deep symbolisms are not as deep as I thought they were. Mm-hmm. And they're not as connected as they might have been. Right. And if I do it or if I don't, there's freedom mm-hmm. to worship Christ, how he has given me opportunity to worship him. Mm-hmm. That doesn't blow the doors off to say, go enjoy revelries. Mm-hmm. We understand what sin is, mm-hmm. but these things are not. Yeah. And they're opportunities. Take them or leave them. Yeah, exactly. And don't cast judgment on those who do less or do more for Christmas than you do. Yeah. So I, I guess the last thing I, I would hit on, will you do Santa Claus? This is the big Christian one. Oh, man. I don't know yet. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't know. Ayla's two. Mm-hmm. This might be the first Christmas where she might have some kind of concept of it just from if she sees it in a television show or hears someone asking about her. And I don't know yet. Yeah. I don't know. That's a conversation Candace I need to have still. <laughs> yeah. And it's one that it's one that a lot of Christians deal with. Yeah. I don't know. Here's how I deal with it. Okay. How Lindsay and I deal with it. Uh I grew up listening to the Statler Brothers Christmas card. It's a an album 
amazing album. It should be everyone's favorite Christmas album. Okay. <laughs> I'm fond of and, Michael Bublé personally. And in the <laughs> in the album, they they talk about belief and faith, mm-hmm. and they make the statement, "I believe in Santa's cause." Mm. And we have allowed that to shape the way we do Santa. Hmm. We don't hide from Santa. We don't we don't pretend like it's a broken part of the Christmas thing. Mm. Um, what we do is we say, this is who Nicholas was. And if you hear someone talking trash about Jesus, you punch them too. <laughs> Not true. <laughs> I hope no one turned off there. <laughs> no. What... <laughs> What I we wasn't did, ready. I wasn't, wasn't ready, ready for that. I wasn't ready. <laughs> what, we, what we do is we say, this is the generosity right. in the name of Christ right. that Nicholas put forth. Right. Our kids have never received a gift from Santa. Yeah. They never believed that he was the one bringing them something. Mm-hmm. But we do acknowledge that a Christian father who preceded us by almost 2,000 years, mm-hmm. gave to meet the physical needs of people mm-hmm. in the name of Christ. Mm-hmm. And we acknowledge that as something that is a tradition worth keeping. Yeah, uh, amen. And so so that little pun, do we believe in Santa Claus? No. Do we be- believe in Santa's cause? Yes. Nice. And that's why we do what we do. All right. Well, thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada and is produced by Alex Walker. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs>